You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's Acts 1-8, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast. I'm Sarah Chrismeyer, talking with women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. Yeah, that word makes a difference in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that Jesus told His disciples that they would receive when they asked if He was restoring God's kingdom right then. And boy, did it change their lives. My guest today is Lavinia Spirito, founder and teaching leader of the Catholic Way Bible Study. And Lavinia is someone who's encountered Christ in His Word, and she has felt the Holy Spirit's power and witnessed through the United States and to the end of the earth, actually, with her teaching. Lavinia, welcome to the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thanks, Sarah. So glad to have you with me here. You're coming from Kentucky, is that right? That's right. I live in Lexington, Kentucky. Well, you have a rich and varied ministry. You're a teacher, you're a spiritual director, evangelist, pilgrimage leader, you're even a lawyer. <laughs> How would you describe your ministry? You know, what, what's the driving force behind it? You know, I always say to people that God has given me a gift of teaching and, a, and that's wonderful and he's given me other gifts, but my driving motivation, my driving force has always been what can serve the kingdom of God? What can bring people the good news so in a way that they can apply it to their lives? You know, a lot of people, perhaps, you know, Catholics especially sit in church and hear the good news. Like every time they go to Mass, you know, they hear the Word of God broken open. They hear, you know, the table of the Word and the table of Eucharist are together in the Mass and, and they, they play off each other. And yet a lot of Catholics, a lot of Christians, perhaps a lot of people in general, live lives of what I say looks like quiet desperation. Like they hear all this stuff, but they're not sure if it's true, you know? And yeah. I don't know anybody this stuff has ever happened to. I don't know if God has acted in power in anybody else's life. This is nice. You know, it's comforting. It's encouraging. You know, I'm just repeating what I've heard from people. Yeah. And my life's work really has been to stop people in their tracks and say, now, wait a minute. It's all true. Yeah. It's all true. You know, God is powerful and God can act in our lives. And it's not just some wonderful, pious thoughts. And it's not just some pious club that we belong to that makes us feel good. It's we are warriors in the army, you know, Amen. in the host of heaven. And the, we, the way that we are warriors in, in the host of heaven is because we were commissioned <laughs> as priests, prophets, and kings when we were baptized and when we, we were confirmed. And a lot of people, they're like, well, I don't know, priest, prom, what, the, what does that mean? It's kind of highfalutin language. What, what exactly does that mean? And I think that focusing on the mission and the, and the person of the Holy Spirit in our life and the identity really brings to the fore what it means to be a spirit-filled, intentional missionary disciple, to use other people's terms. What does that mean? It means that, you know, there are no tourists in the kingdom of heaven, <laughs> you know? Oh, they're, that's good. They're intentional. You have to be intentional. You have to be a follower or a disciple of the Lord. Before we get into that, you speak with such passion. And I understand that you yourself were baptized in the Holy Spirit as a teenager. You've said that your life changed. You're speaking of that need for people to understand it in more than just words. 
So I'm expecting that that probably comes out of a deep experience in your own life. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can tell us about your own experience. You know, Mm -hmm. were you always like this? Were you born like it? Did you have an experience? Yeah, I don't know about being born like it, but I I come from a a broken family. My parents were divorced when I was 14. I had to move out of the house. I lived with relatives. A lot of early wounds, you know, stuff like that. And I was seeking and I was actually living in Italy. That's where I'm from. I was living in Rome with my relatives and I was invited to a prayer meeting. Wow. And this is in uh, 1974, so a long time ago. I won the dinosaurs still roamed the earth. And I was in high school. I was a typical teenager, kind of snotty, kind of, you know, with an attitude and all that stuff. And with some pretty significant wounding, you know, all that stuff, trying to pretend like everything's fine. And I started going to this to this prayer group, and it was a Catholic, charismatic prayer group, which means that the people who went there were open to not only the sanctifying gifts, but also the charismatic or edifying or building gifts, which yeah. are listed in Paul in many, in many places in Paul's letters and, uh, and also in Peter's. And so, you know, after one prayer meeting, they said, would you like to be prayed with? And I'm like, okay, you know, I was 17. What do I know? <laughs> you know, it's a lot easier to say, Lord, I give you everything when you're 17 and you don't know anything and you have nothing to really to give up, right? Yeah. Then later. So, you know, kudos to me, from me to people who have conversion experiences perhaps later in life and really can count the cost a little bit more than some kind of, you know, mindless little teenager like I was. But anyway, I really experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in this very simple prayer. They just laid hands on me according to the biblical model. And I received, you know, just this fire. I mean, I don't know how else to to put it. A fire. Did it feel like something? How did you experience that? I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel it wasn't anything, you know, you talk to people and they were like fell on the floor and they were instantly healed. But I was definitely transformed. And it was one of those things where I stand up and I'm and I'm like, cool, this is great, you know. And then I go home and I realize that my whole outlook on life has changed, that I'm in love with the scriptures, that uh, even though I don't understand them, uh, even though I tend to cherry pick the passages that make me feel good, you know. Wow. What does this mean and all this stuff? But it gave me this fire to, to pursue the Lord, you know, to just be in love with the Lord and to follow him. I had opportunities early on in, 19, I told you it was 1974, in 1975, I belonged to several prayer groups in Rome. I was still in high school, but because I speak several languages, I was asked to be on the Word Gift Team, which is a, a team of people who listen to the Lord during a big conference. And this big conference was in 1975 in Rome, and it was the first big international Catholic Charismatic Renewal Conference. Wow. And it was on the catacombs of St. Calixtus, I think, uh-huh. with the ending mass in St. Peter's Basilica. Wow. And St. Paul VI, St. Paul VI, came, you know, was at the oh, mass. Oh, my goodness. So there's like 10,000 of us crazy people, you know, raising the roof in, uh, in St. Peter's Basilica at the closing mass. It was really hot. People were passing out. It was really hot. But anyway, standing room only. On one side, we had the Catholic Charismatic crazy people. And on the other side, we had the Marian Convention. Ah. And we were singing, <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Remember that? Yeah, remember that? Right. It I goes do. on forever and ever. And ever. Yeah. By, and they're singing their Marian hymns. And finally, the whole basilica singing, hallelujah. You know, we, we, finally, the Marian people gave up and started singing like, with us. <laughs> I can see you swaying oh, back and forth, arms swaying, raised in the we're air. We're raising our hands. Paul comes in with his chair. He's like, I don't want to want to say he's falling out of his chair, but he's definitely, I don't think he was really used to people coming up to him saying, Holy Father, what do you need? 
you know, Man. Holy Father, how can we serve? Wow. Holy Father, let us love the Lord, love the Lord together. You know, that kind of thing. So that obviously, needless to say, made a, made quite an impression of, oh, yeah. on me, you know, being part of something that was bigger than myself and also being aware in a certain sense of being aware, a part of one of the moves of the Holy Spirit and of God in the 20th century. Why not? Which I think that what the Catholic Charismatic Renewal is, as John Paul II said, St. John Paul the Great, it's a chance for the church. Yeah. It's a chance for the church to go back to her roots, you know, because how was the the original evangelization fueled? It was evangel. It was fueled by what? Pentecost. Yeah. And so we've heard from the recent Holy Fathers, the new evangelization, but how is the new evangelization going to get fueled? By, by the, the new Spirit. Pentecost. Yeah. And wouldn't you know it, you know, the Holy Father, John, uh, John the 23rd, let us open the windows wide, let us open in John Paul II, you know, down to that little nun, Elena Guerra, in, uh, 19, in 1899, going to Leo the 13th, saying, Holy Father, what about the Holy Spirit? And he's wow. like, good idea. Let's devote the 20th century to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> like, and, you know, once you hear all that, and you understand that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that formed the beginning of the Pentecostal church in Azusa Street was on the same day. Wow. Same day. That It was the same day. Same day that Leo Thirteenth devoted the church. I'm like, well, wow. can somebody connect the dots, please, here? And, and because I'm more of a doer, really, I was like, this is great because we can, we can preach the good news, but we can also, we can proclaim it, but we can say, hey, guys, it's all true. Let's pray for your headache. Let's pray for your illness. Let's pray that the Lord gives us a prophetic insight on your situation. Let's, you know, let's expect the Lord from the Lord, the dynamic dynamite power that he promised the disciples in Acts 1.8. And so to sum it all up, really, my life has been with, you know, stops and starts and backsliding and all that stuff. You know, I, you know, wasn't always floating on the cloud. I'm not either now, but this unwavering purpose and this idea that I'm not alone and that the all I have to do is say, come Holy Spirit, yep. and the Holy Spirit will come. No. You know, it's the most dangerous prayer. I say it should come with a seatbelt, you know? <laughs> really? Good. It should come with restraints, with a with a crash element. Yeah, hold on because, to your head. Right? Because it's, you know, it's basically double dog daring the Holy Spirit to come in. And, and he will, and he will, and he does. And that's what's so, I just love, I live really to see the lights open. And the, the, the windows open, if you, and lights come on in people's eyes when they actually understand that there is more. Yeah. That they may have been church-going people all their lives and they may, whatever, but God is always there. He needs always more. And it's never old and it's never a retread and it's always fresh and it's always, always, always appropriate. Well, you are definitely the right person to write the introduction to Acts <laughs> in the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible. I'm not sure I knew all of that when I asked you to, but I'm really glad that I did. I noticed the other day I was reviewing what you wrote, and in the very first paragraph, you write that by reading this book, you will capture a fresh vision for what it means to live by the Spirit. And I wonder if you could unpack that a little bit, because we're reading from Acts right now, you know, mm -hmm. as we as we go through Easter. And mm -hmm. can you share share some uh, key points mm -hmm. about that? Well, like like I was telling you, look at the disciples, right? I mean, you you have those guys, you have the apostles, and you have the disciples. We've been doing the readings, right? Emmaus, those guys were basically going home. Uh -huh. They were escaping, you know. What does Peter say? Let's go back to fishing. You know, before the Lord appears, before the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, you have people who were with the Lord of the universe, with the Logos, 
with the second person of the Trinity, with the author of Scripture, for three years. They traveled with him. They slept with him. They, they ate with him. They did ministry with him. And they still don't know what he means. Wow. You know, there's like, they, they were basically in a Bible study with the author of Scripture for three years. And not getting it. But they weren't getting it, you know. I mean, I always say we there's can, always hope. Some of us can relate. <laughs> there's always hope for us, right? Because they didn't get it. I mean, you know. And so what was the difference between the disciples before the coming of the Holy Spirit and after the coming of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's what? It's, it's this passage right here. During the ascension, Jesus meets them on a hill outside Jerusalem. And he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you, that's the disciples, and it's not just the apostles, it's not just the clergy, it, it applies to all of us, okay? Verse 8, but you, shall, that's you plural, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then he says how that's going to fuel the witnessing, not only, and notice it's concentric circles, it's Judea, Samaria, and then he goes, you know, to the ends of the earth. But really what he means is the confines of the Roman Empire as they expand and then to the ends of the earth. And that's what happens if we see in the book of Acts, there is this concentric movement, explosion, really, of the word. But how does it happen? Because the Holy Spirit gives them dunamis. The Greek word employed by Luke here is dunamis, from which we receive our English word dynamite. <laughs> and I always tell people, do you feel like you have dynamite? I mean, when was the last time you received explosive power from the Holy Spirit? You know, and people just look at you like, what? Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, well, look at the d disciples before, look at the disciples afterwards. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit. What does he bring? He brings dynamite. What does dynamite do in a figurative sense? Obviously, it blows things up. But I think what it does, it, it, it blows us out of our positions of complacency, our positions of comfort, you know? Mm -hmm. you know what did he say? He came to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> 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 and comfort the afflicted. But what he does is he, he does to us what he did to the disciples, which is he breathes in us. He is the third person of the Trinity. When you think about it, what's the third person of the Trinity? Just a very garden variety explanation. God the Father is perfect. And when he is perfect, when he speaks, the word is the person, right? And then when the, the Father and the Son speak together, that too is a person. And they're equal. And they're all equal in dignity. And it's all this like communion of light and love. And we are invited into that communion with the Father and the Son by participating in the dialogue between the Father and the Son, which is the power, the love of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of, you know, a lot of people don't, don't get that. I still probably don't understand it completely. But the idea is that we are invited into this holy conversation. You know, it's not just a transfiguration moment. You know, today is Thursday. The mysteries... One of them is the transfiguration and it's Peter and John and James. And they're like, hey, let's just sit here. Let's just stay here forever. Let's not ever do anything else. Let's just, you know, this is cool. But when Jesus is transfigured, he means for it to be a consolation for us so that we will remember when we go out into the world and there are sufferings and there are persecutions and there are illnesses and people die and all that stuff, that he is who he says he is. And that is, I think, one of the ways in which the power of the Holy Spirit comes outside in our lives so that we can proclaim the truth, we can say it's all true, and then we can also bring it to bear through the uh, the semeia, which is in the, the Greek word for signs and wonders. 
which is code for, you're going to preach it. What did Jesus do in the Gospels? It's all a series of discourse, sign, discourse, sign, discourse, sign. By discourse, I mean, you know, stuff what he, that he said, sign. So what is he doing? He's bearing up what he says with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the model that's presented to us. Unfortunately, I think in the past, you know, perhaps since the Enlightenment, we've had this model of the church where we've had, we've been very sort of discourse oriented, uh-huh. very teachers, preachers, shepherds, but evangelists and prophets and apostles, to mention the gifts presented by Paul in Ephesians 4, are a little scarce. Uh-huh. Hear more of that kind of appellation in the Protestant denominations. But guess what? We had the first, you know, uh-huh. that's how we built a church. <laughs> You know, we built the church on the pop, yielding to all that the Holy Spirit had to offer us. And I would say that in our day, we also need to rebuild church. We need to rebuild civilization. I think that we are in a post-Christian uh, posture. I think that uh, Christendom is a thing in the pa- of the past. And in a certain sense, I would like to, I would like, to, I really, I read a book once that, that talked about the, the Christendom versus the apostolic paradigm. And I think that we've started out in an apostolic paradigm where we had the signs and the wonders and the evangelization and all that stuff. And then we, we transitioned into, quote, Christendom, which is what a lot of people are nostalgic for, right? Oh, in good old days when, when everybody, you know, when, when society had laws that held it. But you know what? Those days are gone. Yes. And so it, in order, and we're back, I think, in two apostolic times because we're addressing very similar societies. We're addressing apostate, agnostic uh, consumeristic, hedonistic, secular materialism, scientists, et cetera. And so the way that it was addressed the first time is the way it should be addressed the second time. And that's why I love Acts because it, from the very beginning, it says, this is not about you. It's about the Lord. Yeah, um, it's, you know, he loves beautiful. you. Yes, he's got his name, your name tattooed on the palms of his hand. Yes, he collects your tears in a bottle. Yeah, that's great. But it's about him. Wow. To step out and say. So that's why in the next chapter, Chapter in Acts 2 2, there's it's prefaced by that word suddenly, verse 2, and suddenly, which means what? Even though they were praying, it was sudden. I mean, it was they they weren't really knew what they were praying for. And oftentimes when we pray for the Holy Spirit, we too are not really sure about what's going to come down the pike. And that's why it's so exciting because it's an exercise in trust. I think a lot of anxiety in our world, a lot of depression, a lot of, um, Fear comes from the fact that we just cannot bring ourselves to trust exactly what the Lord, that the Lord is going to do what he said he's going to do. Yeah. You know, I talk to women a lot and it's like all about, I'm worrying, I'm anxious. You know, women have like the warrior in chief hat right. and the family and that kind of thing. Like if I don't worry, who's going to do it? That kind of thing. But really that's, a, that's kind of a lack of trust in the Lord, you know? So the whole book of Acts is one of my favorites because it's peppered through with the concerns of man, persecution, uh, things are happening, people die, but then it's always brought back towards what the Lord is doing in in humanity and how he's bringing everything towards flourishing and he's bringing everything towards a recapitulation, a summary of, you know, as Thomas says, of, of all works within himself so that if we follow him, we will have all our needs met. You know, Augustine, that God-shaped vacuum in our hearts, and so on and so forth. In Acts 4, you would think, a lot of people think, well, I've been baptized, I've been confirmed. That's it, right? What else do I need? Well, Acts itself 
bears out the fact that we need to continue asking for the Holy Spirit. We need to continue to ask for the Holy Spirit to show up. In Acts 4, we have the great, a great passage in 29, 429, where they're together. They've just been arrested. And they don't know what's going to happen. Are they going to get dragged out and be crucified like Jesus? I mean, what's what the heck? The Sanhedrin's yeah. after us. Guys, what are we going to do? What do they do? And now, Lord, look upon their threats, the Sanhedrin, and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, servant Jesus. And then it says, verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Um, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. So what does that say? It says that you have to keep going back. You have to keep depending upon the Lord. You have to keep going back for a fresher infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then the things will shake, you know, and then the room will be shaken. And then we will have the power to do what the Lord has asked us to do. Have you, have you experienced that? Because yes, actually. I, I mean, one of the things that really stands out when I, I read through Acts is these people are changed. They are bold. So there's that internal kind of boldness and ability to witness and so on. But then there are also these outpouring of signs and healings and deliverance and so on. Have you actually witnessed that? Mm -hmm. I have. I'm ashamed to say that that's probably what kept me in the faith yeah. or in my immature years. I'd like to say that I stayed Christian because I knew it was the right thing to do and because, you know, but really the flesh, you know, it says what Greek like to talk, but Jews need signs. I'm, I'm not Jewish, but <laughs> <laughs> you need signs. But I need we signs. We all need signs. We though. all need signs, you know. And so from the very earliest times, I was able to participate in prayer where people were healed. Wow. Uh, when I was 18, I was a group that was praying. There was a guy called Francis McNutt, who was pretty famous in the healing. He's since dead. And we prayed over some guy and his legs lengthened. They oh, were right. uneven. And I remember seeing that, you know. Yeah. And I remember seeing people healed. I remember seeing people set free. I, I just, I remember thinking at, at 17, 18, 19, I was able then to go to college at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and to be part of a covenant community called the Word wow. of God. And so my formative years, really, from, you know, I'd say 17 to about 25, were spent in atmospheres in which I really expected the Holy Spirit to act. And then you could see the results of your prayers. Okay, um, does that mean that every time you pray for healing, people are healed? No, obviously not. It's a matter of timing, but God's will is always to heal, whether he heals by bringing them home or whether he heals them by diminishing pain or whether he just does a creative miracle, you know, right then and there. So have I seen stuff? Yes. I must say that, you know, the older I got, the more I was kind of more complacent. I would kind of lean more on my scholarship on teaching and all that stuff. And about seven or eight years ago, I was exposed again to this climate of signs and wonders. And that's why my motto is, there is more. God is powerful and there is always more. And we need to get that message out because so many people now are, are like, you know, been there, done that. I've heard that. I've been mm -hmm. hearing it all my life. What difference does it make? Exactly. So we need to bear witness to that in our lives, just in cleaned up lives and in the, you know, the faith and the hope and the peace that we have. But also sometimes the Holy Spirit will break through with these signs and wonders. And that's My great father was healed. I've experienced it. Your with father was other, healed? 
My father was healed when oh, I was great. a child. Oh, uh, we God. thought he would never walk again. And mm-hmm. he was prayed over and was healed. And I have ancestors and relatives who were involved in that Azusa Street revival, you know, on mm-hmm. the Protestant side. It's amazing mm-hmm. to me that it was all happening at the same mm-hmm. time. The Holy Spirit mm-hmm. kind of rolling through both churches. Mm-hmm. But I, I grew up with that, seeing the Lord work in mm-hmm. in miraculous ways. And mm-hmm. there have been seasons of that, you know, you don't see it steadfastly, but I always know that he mm-hmm. is powerful, that he does what he says he will do, and that he's a good good one to turn to. Where else are we going to find hope? I mean, where else shall we go? We're in the middle of the discourse of the Bread of Life discourse right now in the Liturgy of the Hours. Yeah. Peter says, where else are we going to go, Lord? Even when you say it's uncomfortable things and stuff that we don't understand, where, where you know, especially today, where else are we going to go? There is nowhere to go. And even when we're uncomfortable, when we're in pain, the Lord is standing by by saying, I'm making you my witness. It's time to get over yourself. It's time to operate in the gifts that I've given you. You know, we have that paradigm. A lot of Catholics, I've done confirmation prep for my kids, right? Mm-hmm. And you have that sanctifying gift, which is vertical, the sanctify, like I need these gifts through baptism and confirmation to sanctify myself. Right but most people miss the second part. That's why I insisted on doing confirmation prep for my kids. Because I said, now guys, especially 14-year-olds, come on, 13, 14-year-olds, you know, they're just there because they made them or something, you know? And the idea would be, what if you, through confirmation, were confirmed in the gifts of healing and of miracles and of tongues and of prophecy? I mean, and you see those kids' eyes get this big, and but that's what we receive. We don't just receive the gifts that are, help us grow in holiness. We also lead, receive the gifts that help us on a horizontals, on the church plane, on the society plane, to go out and witness to others. So um, we don't just minister to others by being holy and pious and all that stuff, although that's important and growing in the virtues. But we also, and I think that's a very important point. You said that you saw that as you were growing up. I think the generations that follow us, everybody wants to talk about the young people, millennials. Now we have the other ones, Gen X's, whatever. The main way I think that we witness to them is by not saying anything, by witnessing to them and by being there with them to say, you have a headache. Shall we pray? Your knee hurts. Shall we pray? You know, you can take it or leave it. But in my prayer time, I felt the Lord saying this to you about this situation. Take it, you know, whatever. I've done that with my kids and it's amazing. I mean, I'm different podcast, but one of them especially experienced just like an amazing, miraculous uh, situation in her life. And I ascribe that by the fact to the fact that God is good and merciful, but also by the fact that she was open to hearing what I was saying. And so mom's a holy roller, you know, so she's a church lady. So she's a Bible, you know, all the various appellations, especially the older you get, the crazier you look, maybe, (laughs) I don't know. You know, I'm like, I like to say I'm completely out of the closet, you know, in terms of just not caring what people think when I declare God's truth in a certain situation or God's revelation in a certain situation, or even just saying, can I pray for somebody? You know, mm-hmm. here in Lexington, I've really been able to go and, and come alongside people who are dying, come alongside people who are sick, and, and just bring some people. And even if they're not completely healed at that time, there's that consolation. You know, every time you pray and you pray as a group together with expectant faith, there's always something happening. Yeah, but I mean, I was, I've been in groups, I've been, especially one, one instance in which we prayed over some lady who was riddled with tumors. She had tumors in her liver, tumor, tumors, all 
inside. And we prayed, had an extensive prayer time with this lady. It was only two or three of us. And I, I had this sense that these tumors are drying up and blowing away, drying up and blowing away. And somebody else did too, blow, drying up and blowing away. And we must have looked like crazy people as we were, as we were. I was like, I think, it, you know, I've never been very buttoned up, always pretty expressive. So I'm like, I think there's a, so how do you know, right? So the lady goes home and like three weeks later, texts us, emails us and says, my tumors are gone. Wow. My tumors are gone. Wow. Okay. She ended up dying eventually. Okay. But at the time. As we all do. As we all do, right? As Lazarus did, right? But, but I think once you're confronted with that, because then I come home and I tell my kids and I tell my husband, I say, hey, guess what happened? That lady, blah, blah, blah. And they look at you like, okay, <laughs> what, what time is dinner? You know, that kind of thing. But that's, but you plant those seeds. And, and like I said, but my point, and I do have one, is that uh, the signs of wonders business, the demonstration of the proclamation really has a role in the younger generation, in evangelizing the younger generations, because they are the ones who are receiving all these competing messages from yeah, the probably. culture, probably even more than we did when we were growing up, because they had got the internet, they got all the social media platforms, they got all, they have so much information, so many facts, just getting up in the morning and scrolling, they're exposed to more than we ever probably were, you know, in 10 years of our life. So speaking and talking have limited value. Yeah, well, I think that the demonstration part is, I think, what's going to be the witness to bring in the younger generation. And that's why I focus in on things like the Acts of the Apostles and also how it's foreshadowed in the Old Testament, you know. And all give that an stuff. example of that. Well, like Isaiah says, you know, the Gentiles will be included in the covenant. When Jesus says that in Luke 4, they, they want to stone him. Why? Because... It, the, the idea that the Gentiles will be included in the covenant and how are they included in the covenant? Well, we see that in the New Testament, the preaching of the word of the Gentiles, but it's mostly through signs and wonders. So the prime example, again, if you want to you look at the book of Acts, is in Acts 8, when Philip, the deacon, preaches in Samaria. Now, Samaria was considered not exactly Gentile territory, but territory you do not want to be in by most Jews, right? There was significant animosity. They hated each other, et cetera. And so Philip is preaching in Samaritan territory. And okay, and the multitudes with one accord gave heed to what was said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs which he did. This Acts 8, verse 6. So there was much joy in the city of all the things that were happening. Verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced. So we know the story, right? Simon the magician goes up to Peter and says, I want to write you a check. You know, what's your, what are your wiring coordinates? Yeah. I want to wire some money. <laughs> Give me what you have. I want to do those signs. Yeah, I want, I want to be cool like you are. You know, yeah. I want to heal the sick and deliver the demoniacs and raise the dead. What the heck, you know? And I always tell people, when was the last time somebody offered you money? Because they All saw right. what you were doing. Wow. I, that's obviously an exaggeration. Okay. That. Yeah. It's like, hey, you know, are you as effective as Philip was? And if you are not, why not? Because the environment that, that Philip lived in was almost exactly like the environment that we're living in right now. Mm -hmm. And it, well, God equips people for the times. So obviously studying scripture is very important to you. And I'm sure you do a lot of it. You know, you're preparing to write, to teach. Do you also read privately? I wonder if you have some kind of ongoing habit that you could explain, mm -hmm. just share with us. Well, I pray the liturgy of the, the hours. 
every morning. So by Liturgy of the Hours, it's a prayer of the church. In the mornings, I really love the Office of Readings, which is a, a bit of a longer prayer with a, a scripture reading. And then it always has afterwards a, a passage by a church father, some form of magisterial document, you know, whatever, that kind of ties it all together. Well, and the psalmody, all the various psalms where you recite. So every morning I let my reading be informed by what the Liturgy of the Hours is offering up to me in the divine office. And then I do morning prayer. So uh-huh. I'll recite those psalms and those readings. And what I'll do is I will follow along with the New American Bible, the NAB, which is what the lectionary uses. And I'll use my RSV or I'll use my ESV or, you know, I'm a geek, right? So I'm always like trying to look at the various translations and what, how the words uh-huh. are. So part of it is study, but part of it is like, oh my gosh, Lord, that's such an amazing insight. I just let the Holy Spirit speak to me through the words. Now, obviously, when I'm preparing to teach, then I get to hit the word again, which is yeah, great. Well. You know, we just finished the letters of Paul a couple, two or three weeks ago. We finished or we've done them a little bit in the past, but we, this semester we did Ephesians, Galatians, Colossians, and Philemon. And we just kind of tied it all up with a bow. And who can go to Philippians without being transformed? You know, who can yeah. go to Philippians Four, filled with joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Who can go to Ephesians 4 without saying, scratching your head and saying, wait a minute, we got all these shepherds and teachers, but what happens to the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists? And how can we fix that? You know, who could go to, I don't know, Philemon, Philemon, you know, the name in Greek means my darling, my loved one. I I call him Mr. Kissy Face, you know. (laughs) What were the, what were this? The situation at that point in Colossae, you know, I just try to bring people into the moment so that then they can receive or sort of draw out what they want at that time. So that's a long way of saying that I am very blessed to be able to engage the scriptures on a regular basis, both both for my devotion, for my personal upkeep, because then the Lord will play. I always keep a journal, right? A prayer journal. So I'll pray and then a, a word will bounce off or a sentence or a phrase or an idea, and I'll write it in my prayer journal. And then I'll keep going. And then I'll hear the Lord speak to me and I'll write that down, you know? So it's like a, it's a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And it so all fits together. The study, it all fits the prayer, together. the reading. Yeah. I don't think you can do just one. It no. really, in my experience, helps to have all of them. Well, that's why I'm always puzzled when you have people who just teach the word and are not believers. Yeah. You yeah. know, like seminary professors, it. you know, who are like, you're like, what are you doing? I mean, what's the point? What, uh-huh. What's the point of teaching the word? Not a history course. Like it's literature. Wow. Yes, there is that dimension. You know, we, we can have the debate about the historical critical thing and all that stuff, but but it's a very useful technique to go into the, I like to use the, you know, the archaeological context, the legal context, the customs, the language, but then you can't just stay there. You have to use that to bring it all into the context and what is the Lord saying to you right now? Yep. yep. That's what I do. So over the years, I expect that you've gathered some favorite verses, and I wonder if you could share one that's been particularly meaningful to you. Yes, ma'am. Well, I, you know, I have a lot of favorite verses, as you might imagine, but I think one that's kind of been a kind of a constant in my life, because it tells me just to, to calm down, you know, Psalm 37, and it's in wow. the first group of the psalmings, right? So it's it's, it's ascribed more closely to, to David himself. And Psalm 37, verse 3 begins like this. Trust in the Lord 
and do good. So two things, one, trust in God, and then do what he calls you to do, which is always yeah. good, right? A lot of people do what they think is good and then maybe trust in the Lord retroactively, <laughs> ask him to bless. Oh, uh -huh. by the way, Lord, that thing I did, you know, that I did without asking you, can you please, I'm in trouble, you know, that kind of thing. So instead, trust in the Lord, that's the, that's the order of it, and do good so you will dwell in the land. Verse four, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that's very cleansing because it helps you refine what the heck are my, the desires of my yeah. heart? You know, what exactly am I desiring? You know, if I die tomorrow, what, what is it that I want? And, and that's very clear. It's very sobering and it's very clarifying. And then verse five, commit your way to the Lord. Commit, this is of course the RSV version. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. I would say that's my life's verse right there. If I don't commit my way to the Lord, if I don't trust him, he will okay, act, I'll, him act. I'll miss it. You yeah. know? And then finally, which is also very applicable to me, verse seven, be still before the <laughs> Lord and wait patiently for him. I always say, don't be like Sarah, you know, don't go ahead and don't lag, or like Abraham, don't lag behind, you know, yeah. don't try to make things happen. But then don't miss it once the Lord has worked, is, has worked, you know, jump on the train when you see it go by, you know. That for me, I would say is probably one of, I have, like I said, several, but I'd say this is probably th of Psalm 37 verses 3 through 7. Some of my favorite ones also. And I, I'm going to post that passage on the episode page so that if you're listening, you can pray with that on your own and just allow the Spirit to work in your heart. Lavinia pointed to the kind of imperatives, the things that the psalmist tells us to do, to trust, to take delight, to be still, and also all the things that God gives us as a result, security, desires of our heart, vindication, and so on. There's a lot of real food for meditation in here. So you may want to take that into your prayer time. In the meantime, we will pray with it right here together. You want to close your eyes, bow your head. Come Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. So again, it's from Psalm 37, verses 3 to 7. Trust in the Lord and do good. So you will dwell in the land and enjoy security. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your vindication as the light in your right as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over him who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing it to life with power. Open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and ponder what you say to us in Scripture. Give us the grace that we need to love and live your word in our daily lives and to witness to your power to the world around us. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Word, pray, pray for us.
Thank you, Lavinia. It's been really wonderful talking to you. Thank you for sharing both your experience with the Holy Spirit and also just all those really strong points out of the Book of Acts, which we're, of course, reading all this Easter season. I hope that uh, if you haven't been tracking along with the first reading with the, with the lectionary, maybe you want to get out the Book of Acts and read it before we get to Pentecost in a couple of weeks. So is there anything you'd like to add before we go, particularly where can we reach you and find out more about this, your books and your ministry? My ministry is Catholic Way Bible Study, and it's uh, you can find it on the net at cwbs.org, which are the initials of Catholic Way Bible Study. And uh, you can find us on Instagram, Catholic Way Bible Study, and Facebook, Catholic Way Bible Study. So we try to have a wide reach. For the Lord, because St. Paul would totally have been on Instagram, I think. You're here. Don't you think? <laughs> Amen. Yeah. He would have been. So this is Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been the Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, I hope that you'll join me every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's Word. And you can also join our Instagram community at Living the Word Bible. And watch this week for a question based on this episode with Lavinia Spirito. I think I'm going to ask, how has the Holy Spirit worked in your life through Scripture? I would love to know that. Finally, if you'd like to get a copy of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible or the brand new companion journal, they're available to you for a special price, $5 off of each and also free shipping. So just go to Ave Maria Press and use the promo code Bible Podcast, all one word. And the offer expires at the end of 2023. God bless you as you read His Word. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.